time has come for another installment of No Doubter, where we swing for the fences and we unpack the rich history and tradition of the game of baseball here in the United States. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Travis Lawley. I've got my esteemed co-host, Barrett Boombostic, with me. Barrett, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I'm ready to go. Absolutely, my friend. Uh, tonight, we like to call this from great, the great American pastime to the great American bygone, saving the game of baseball. We love this sport, but with love also comes correction and helping it be the best that it can be. And we just feel like this is such a huge topic and kind of idea of, yes, Baseball being a historic and great sport with a lot of great moments from the past, but also being a sport that has some major issues moving forward that it needs to address for the sake of just creating a better on-field product and then a better game that the fans ultimately want to be part of, want to take time out of their day to enjoy, to follow through as long of a season as it is, and to ultimately build up kind of a youth movement with it for younger fans to want to care about. It's in the grand scheme of as many sports as there are out there and things that they can choose to do with their time and be involved in uh, as a kid. So yeah, that's, we're going to talk about multiple parts of that. We're going to talk about uh, on-field play, finances of the game once again kind of involve you the fans in in terms of kind of like echoing probably what some of your concerns you may have about the game if you're more familiar with it um we got a lot to discuss tonight and so i'm just going to go and uh turn this back to barrett because we have something very important that we must do as we do with every show Yes, right, Trav. We're going to kick things off like we always do with another uh, installment of Poor and Score. Because we got to start off. We got to, you know, we got to shake the rust off. We got to start a little loose, you know, enjoy some nice adult beverages. Because remember, ladies and gentlemen, when you pour, you always score. That is absolutely right, and we drink local here, and no doubter. So, I'd love for you to, uh, to, you know, this this one is kind of a little bit of a different situation here, and this uh, from our fine friends in Kentucky. Um, but you know, we uh, we're friends with it's down America, here in Texas. It's America, man. <laughs> yeah, America is local. We want to try to do local every chance we get, but. I wanted to change things up a yeah. bit. Sometimes we have to go a little bit further to find the <laughs> finest, and this is a very fine uh, libation that we have this evening. Unpack it for us, my friend. For sure. This is Weller, the original weeded bourbon special reserve from Buffalo Trace. This is a legit bourbon. Um, for those of y'all who um, know anything about bourbon, Buffalo Trace is one of the premier distilleries in America, straight from the bourbon whiskey capital of the country kentucky um this is one of their special batches it's just called a weller special preserve uh this is all given credit to w.i weller who was born in kentucky in the year 1825 after serving with the louisville brigade in the 1840s he returned to louisville to open his wholesale liquor business he is reported to have used the slogan honest whiskey at an honest price his weeded recipe bourbon had a softer, smoother taste that became very popular. Pappy Van Winkle, another big guy in the bourbon world, eventually merged Weller's namesake company with APH 
Stitzel Distillery to form the Stitzel Weller Distillery. This delicate bourbon with hints of caramel and honey honors one of America's first whiskey pioneers. I mean, come on, you just read that. I just read that on the bat there. I mean, you just want to drink that so bad. So I um, had just kind of like the whole story like painted picture in my head with that. I mean, it's it so American and I'm <laughs> perfect for this show. Like we, uh, oh yeah. Please pour it for us, my friend. We need to, uh, yeah. we need to get this underway. Have you had this before? I have not. First uh, time. Yes. I, I got to thank my dad. Shout out to my dad for getting me this bottle. It's a special one. It's hard to get, hard to come by. So you're in for a treat, my bro. A little generous there. but And of course, we are always drinking out of our Glencairn glasses. Because once you drink from a Glencairn glass, you can never go back. Uh, this is 90 proof. In episode one, we drank an 82 proof, so we're just dialing up a few notches. We're going on a little bourbon journey, so we're just dialing it up just a little bit to 90 proof. Not getting too crazy, but unlike the first episode, we drank TX Blended Whiskey. This is Kentucky straight bourbon, so this is the legit stuff. So let me hand you. Thank you, sir. Batch. All right, let's enjoy. Definitely among kind of like the first whiff and then the the first sip on this one you really feel it um mm-hmm. it gives more <laughs> brings the heat um once again it has kind of some of that nice little cinnamon aftertaste kick to it um but i feel like i get more of the true bourbon and 65 percent alcohol out of that uh, <laughs> the, up front it, with it, it. it's 45 percent. oh 45 no <laughs> it might feel like it correct <laughs> correction that is not 65 percent. that's 45 percent that we're drinking this evening but it is a everything is a step up i really enjoy this like this i mean the, the bottle kind of that almost the the green it's almost kind of like master's uh, jacket <laughs> green there that makes up the uh, the Weller logo like it's this is a pure kind of Americana type feeling I feel like I need to I feel like I need to be in my study right now like reading Hemingway and uh, oh, yeah. and, uh, and taking a swig of this it's uh, yeah I, I love it it says on the back that you get hints of caramel and honey are you are you getting any of that second swig I'm getting more of the caramel and the honey comes off more of the uh, of the scent from it, honestly. It kind of hits you at first, and then it just kind of carries on. It kind of, from there, it's like pop, and then whoa. It's, I agree. It is a great, a great batch, ladies and gentlemen. Highly recommend it. Straight from the heart of Kentucky. Go pick yourself up a Weller, if you can find it. So, all right. Now we're good. Trav? Kick us off. Let's give our favorite sport of baseball some tough love and, and tell it what it needs to do to to survive. Yeah, man. Like when we were prepping for the show, what really came to the forefront of my mind was a quote from my pastor um, and the the former lead pastor of my church. He is uh, he has since um, retired. He's kind of he, he says he's not retired. He's moved on to kind of like a more different type of role in ministry now. Um, after a number of years serving our church, but anyways, I digress. And he, this quote kind of comes from more in like the vein of like prepping like the next generation, discipling them, raising up the church uh, in that kind of context. But we can connect it here too to the sport of baseball. And he says this that if all you have is a focus on the best of life being the days past and nothing to look forward to in the future, the end for you is surely near. 
That stings that, right there. <laughs> that, 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 that stings if you really think about it. Um, baseball cannot afford to rest on its laurels and just act like everything is rosy. Um, the, it can't just act like its current struggles are an illusion or things that will just correct themselves over time. Um, I, I think, you know, the, you know the, the average baseball fan essentially is a boomer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, like people around our parents' age. And the, like, I just think of, you know, like other kind of cultural trends um, growing up. That, like I heard my parents talk about the dinner table that they were, they assumed were just like a blip on the radar. And I don't think it quite registered with them as big of maybe a cultural shift uh, as was happening uh, that they saw in their eyes as, as was the reality. Um, like my dad didn't even own a cell phone until like about 20 years ago. Um, I would think both my parents didn't quite, uh, see like 10 plus years ago as platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram were really kind of up on the rise. Like the, the fundamental shift in technology was not quite, I think recognized in their eyes of like how significant and long lasting and how like truly like changing of the fabric of not just American culture, but world 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 culture, um, of how everybody operates because of that. Um, so, you know, if we've seen anything in recent years, it's that sports and baseball included, like, like it's the same situation. They're subject to the cultural norms and wars of the day. Um, and when those things change, like they are, uh, like they're usually going to be of a pretty significant impact and over a pretty significant amount of time. Uh, baseball is the oldest fan base among all the sports here in the U S um, like fans under 18 only make up like 7%, 7%. Wow. That is, uh, <laughs> that, that is, means not, that means 93% of fans are over the age of 18. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean the, the kind of average age of, of the baseball fan being a boomer, like that's people like in, like in their late fifties, well into their seventies at this point now. So it's, uh, there's work to be done here in terms of the sport of baseball becoming one where younger people find more interest in it. And that's on their radar as much as sports like the NBA, uh, and football and, uh, soccer, soccer, some of these others. Yeah. Soccer is growing at a rapid popularity here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, World Cup in recent years feels like, you know, it's more, uh, it has momentum afterwards. If it's not just the World Cup that, you know, Americans pay attention to every four years, there's other, um, uh, there's other matches following it that, you know, they really are paying closer attention to, to the, uh, the men's national team, the women's national team has had success in recent years and just the sport of soccer in general in the U S and kind of like how that's involved in matches beyond the World Cup has really grown for sure. Um, so yeah, you know, Bear, I'm going to hand this back off to you because uh, we need you to just give the facts about where baseball stands at this current moment. And once again, some of them are really going to kind of sting and they're going to be kind of eye-opening um, just in terms of maybe like what we already know, but things that like maybe we haven't exactly thought about here. So take it away, brother. Just to kind of lay out the situation, and I'm, I hope that MLB is aware of this, but you know, baseball attendance, it peaked at an all-time high in 2007 with 79 million fans across the whole nation for the whole season. That's a lot. Well, over time, that's kind of been going down, down, down to 68.5 million fans total as of 2019. That's a trajectory of maybe roughly, roughly around 10 million every 10 years. It's not going in a good direction, so that's in-person attendance, TV ratings are pretty abysmal. In 1978, 
44.2 million viewers uh, viewed the World Series. A lot of people watched that. You compare that to 2020, 9.8 million. Now, I know that 2020 was an off year. There were fans at the stands, so it was kind of exciting. And it's like, oh, well, that's an off year. Well, in 2019, it was 14 million. You're going from 44 million viewers, 1978, to here we are, what is it, 50 years later, 44 to 14. Uh, the average age of viewership in baseball is 57. <laughs> That's as of 2016. Period of the boomers right there. It's <laughs> yeah. So just like Travis was saying, you know, you might knee-jerk say it, but the facts don't lie, you know. And you look at other sports, they're appealing to younger audiences. As of 2017, NFL's average age was 50. NBA was 42. And soccer, the most popular sport in the world, the average age was 39. So yeah, even those, even though those are... You know, they're not like 20s and 18s, but it's a whole lot better. I mean, man, if baseball can reverse its trend, it will be so much better for its long-term success because the boomers, they're not going to be around much longer. Gen Z, whatever the heck the next gen is, they are the future, and they have got to appeal to them. So that's that's the groundwork. So Yeah, the, ki- the, the kids need to get, in, uh, get involved with baseball and – I think, you know, there's a lot of fans, even though they're not kind of within that, that median demographic there, that um, Gen X and, uh, and us, the millennials, we're still a pretty significant chunk. So, oh, yeah. uh, but it's a matter of getting at this point now with your kids and like yeah. people around my, around my age, I know. That, getting them uh, to organically kids. want to go. And it sometimes, you know, it's passed on, your dad passed on to you, that passed on to me, a love, a love of the game. But what about for people who didn't have it, but just organically and are provoked or incentivized to go. So again, it's a lot. So Trav, let's just get it start off. Let's just start. We're going to list a bunch of, a, a bunch of strategies and we hope that MLB listens or that they're aware of it. So just take it off. What can, what can this more do? Let's go. Yeah. I mean, the, the foundation of it, I think is going to be to know where, where like the eyes and the cameras are, are on the most. And it's the on-field play. It is the 162 games that, uh, that occur from the, uh, the end of March, beginning of April up through the end of September and October. And then you know, you've got the game. That's just the regular season. Yeah. And you've got the games <laughs> that, uh, that, that follow, um, uh, into the postseason with the playoffs leading up to the world series. Um, so like we'll we'll get to more of kind of that in a second, but really the length of the game we got to start uh, addressing that <laughs> first here. Uh, it should go without saying if you have any familiarity with the game of baseball, it's a long game, yeah. and the spectator, if you're a spectator, you, you walk into the ballpark or you turn on your TV and you watch the game with the expectation of you got to be patient because the the game is going to take a while. There there's no clock yep. in no clock. in baseball. It's not like like football or basketball or hockey, uh, where you know they, that that counts down from the start of the game to the end of the game and divide divide it up by how many uh, many segments or quarters, periods, whatever it is based on that sport. Uh, innings take as long as they need to. Um, <laughs> one uh, certain games uh, based on the lineup and specifically with the pitchers, it's going to turn. Those games are going to turn into pitching duels. Um, where those type of games move at just a record pace because like it's, it's K's across the board left <laughs> and right. It's uh, it's stupid. It's, it's 
so many K's that Roger Clemens can't even think of more uh, more names for K's to name his sons. Like that's that's what the, <laughs> some of those games were like. Yeah, but as I you, yeah as I pointed out in my, in episode one, you know, when I was a little kid, pitching duels would not have a plot uh, have appealed to me. What what appealed to me was action. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but when you become a baseball nerd, like the the pitching duels and just kind of like the minutia of the game, like that's that yeah. that, uh, that attracts you more. But and so it's like it's a blessing that occurs. It's like, hey, those games for if you know you're trying to get into the sport for more of a casual fan, those are those games will will move by more quick. But you know, you might be have like a one to nothing, two to one type of game <laughs> at the end of it there. And it's like wow, where was the really compelling kind of movement of the story uh, of the game of having to go further into the bullpen or anything like yeah. that? He really painted um, the corners yeah. with those pitches. But then you, you have games at the complete opposite end of the spectrum too, where the uh, they feature a lot of hits, a lot of walks, a lot of home runs. Teams are going deep into their bullpen uh, because it's just like <laughs> everybody's getting a hit, everybody's getting on base, everybody is, uh, it's just bombs and dingers left and right. And uh, I you're going to your bullpen because you're trying to ultimately win the game. And it's like, okay, who, who can we go to that can actually like start shutting down some folks? And just yeah, just there's no like mercy rule. Offensive <laughs> firepower here. How can we kind of tame that down a little bit? Hmm. Um, so both these situations are tough on fans with just the number of games that happen during weekday evenings. Um, so just the length of the game in that aspect um, when you're experiencing it can, as a fan can definitely be a problem. Um, in recent years, though, a pitch clock has actually been introduced mm-hmm. in college baseball and the minor leagues. So even without like a true like full game clock that that that, that keeps constraints to all aspects of the game, uh, pitching is definitely uh, baseball is a game of idiosyncrasies and kind of just like little mannerisms and, and mannerisms and things that you know that draw out time that like you look at. Uh, the, you you can look at it as a family kind of maybe without as much knowledge of the game. And you're like, why are all these things happening? And it's like, but you <laughs> don't dare question them or try and get in the way of them with the with those players because they've done them for years and years and years since they were kids playing the game, and it, it's just it's a part of how it is, and that's part of them getting their peak performance as an athlete and performance during the game uh, to help their team win. Um, but yeah, the the pitch clock has there's just some ridiculousness that can happen on the mound and just some like, okay guys, we can speed this up a little bit. So the pitch clock has been introduced um, with the idea of, of, for both college baseball and the minor leagues so far, it's been introduced uh, a pitch clock of 20 seconds to keep things moving. And I, I think, you know, it's, I think it, from what I've seen, it has improved the quality of the game. I'm not seeing compromise play with the pitch clock. If anything, you know, it only highlights more of kind of when you, uh, more of, you know, when we talk about uh, in one of our coming episodes, the idea of baseball analytics, it only highlights, you know, as the game has to move a little bit quicker, it only highlights the chess match that is yeah. baseball a little bit more and some of the things that come from it. Um, and it's more so, kind of like a reference. I don't know. I, I don't, I haven't really seen almost really enforce it, but it's just kind of like a reference there. It's like, yeah. Hey, you know, let's just kind it's of, it's not a, get the there, show there's the definitely, I think there's like two, three tops kind of warnings that you get, uh, on the mound as a pitcher before, yeah. uh, before I think like you give up a run or whatever the, uh, um, whatever kind of the penalty is for not sticking in there. It's kind of a, uh, almost a sort of agreement and just, uh, loosely held to, but still a rule um, that's been introduced out with Major League Baseball. And I think it has added benefit and it keeps games moving more as opposed to just 
going on for stupid amounts of time, like five <laughs> plus hours or anything. Like, I'm sorry. It's, that's <laughs> even with my love of the baseball. That can be, uh, that can be too much. Yeah. Um, when I took my son to his first game at back in April of 2019, that was a four hour game and it was a night game, Wednesday night week game. And now he was three months old. So it was way past his bedtime. But <laughs> even if he were like five or seven, I mean, we didn't get out till like 11, didn't get home till like past midnight. I mean, that's that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's past my bedtime. <laughs> yeah, and, and now we touch on the length of the season, which I highlighted a few minutes ago. That's 162 games running from the spring into the fall of every year. Uh, you tack on uh, spring training as well that begins in late February. I believe it's always that around that third uh, weekend of February. It's a long time that you're playing the game of baseball to, as a player and then just like if you're following as a fan. Yeah, and they, I mean, they expanded it because more games means more money. I'm pulling up facts right now, and when the American League added the Los Angeles Angels and the Washington Senators in 1961, they made a decision to expand the schedule from 154 games to 162. Eight extra games, you know, it's And these days, <laughs> there's always something to monetize, and even if it's a small amount, it's like, hey, if you introduce it, like, what if kind of the way technology and media and something evolves over time that they could possibly open up the opportunities to scale that up for even more money. Yeah, no, 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 no <laughs> professional sports organization is going to turn down the opportunity to make more money. So that is yeah. one reason why baseball lasts through the majority of the years. It does today. Yeah, it's been that way ever since, <laughs> since 1961 in the AL and 1962 in the NL. Yeah. So. Um, the beginning and the end of the season, the regular season is, crosses over with other sports rise meaningful games are happening as well so that presents a, a disadvantage for uh, if we're trying to get more kids interested in this when you've got uh, the nba and the nhl playoffs that are starting uh, right around this time at the beginning of the season and then you've got the nfl um, starting their raider season rise the rise major league baseball is wrapping up theirs i mean those are uh, those are all sports that capture pretty significant um, segments of the American population. Um, so that presents a, dis- a disadvantage for sure. So it kind of begs the question, should the season be shortened up a bit? Maybe we should keep the 162 game schedule, but maybe have more double headers yeah. on Saturday or Sunday to get through the series quicker. You know, you, some of those double headers are more oriented towards just, Hey, you know, like, play a doubleheader on Sunday. You then, uh, you then start like the next series for the next team in town or where you're flying out to, um, uh, that Monday or even, you know, like a doubleheader, like, uh, through the end of the, uh, kind of finishing up or in the middle of the weekend, it allows kind of further on if you don't want to shorten it up as much, but just offering opportunities for the players to be able to make it back home and have a, like an off day, maybe that they wouldn't have just by powering kind of through and having a double header in there. I mean, you've got the, the risk of like Tommy Johns and kind of other injuries that really kind of become more part of the game by mm-hmm. adding them more and just like how athletic the game has become. And then like the length of the game and everything like there's, there's a definite issue with injuries and the kind of their more frequent occurrence that's come with baseball in recent years, for sure. That could potentially um, create an issue with that. I would say, I mean, even though I'm a big fan of baseball, I think even for me, you know, year in and year out, once it starts approaching, yeah, August, September, I'm like, okay, 
this is dragging out. I'm ready for this season for this season to be over. It's just, 162. That's just an astronomical amount and of games. And like you know, us being here in Texas, it's the much like kind of how life. I feel like in the middle of winter when you live up north and you're kind of in the dead of like the season of frequent snowstorms, real uh, the bigger cold snaps and everything. Like you get uh, the, the really short days. Like kind of life slows down. Down here in Texas, when you hit uh, like that late late July, early August period after the All Star break, when it's like you know you should kind of presumably you should be more excited about your team if they're in contention for the uh, for making a spot in the pennant race. Um, come the fall, the heat and just kind of the dog days of summer down here. Also, you just kind of lose interest on a lot of things in life, including yeah. sports <laughs> spectating. It can uh, it can make that different. Uh, they can make that difficult. For sure. Um, so just closing out kind of this this idea of like where else there are issues with the with on the field. So you got scheduling and just kind of the AL and uh, American League and National League differences. And it's kind of the big question I think overall with this point here is should the National League adopt the uh, the designated hitter role? Yeah, um, I <laughs> you, you say you say really strongly yes, and I like from a pure just kind of fans and maybe more watchability perspective, I think the answer is, is yes for a lot of Heck folks yes. across the board. But I also kind of think too, uh, to, to flip the script and kind of play the other side of this is um, there is something kind of just, it's a, it's a little, once again, kind of idiosyncrasy with the game and uh, an opportunity to nerd out of like, Hey, when you've got to, if your team is an American league team and when they're playing an interleague play, um, Interleague play, I don't think there's any problem with the number of games you play with interleague. It creates uh, creates interesting schedules every year. You know, if you, um, I know with my aspirations to uh, to travel um, to 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 more major league ballparks in the coming years, and kind of work towards uh, a goal that I've set of going and seeing a game at every major league ballpark as uh, as part of a personal bucket list. Um, you know, there's some iconic venues in the National League, San Francisco with the Giants, St. Louis with the Cardinals. You've got the Cubs up in Chicago. Uh, the, the Reds, even with their struggles in recent years, have a really uh, neat kind of a little setup there in Cincy. Um, got Philly with the uh, Philadelphia with the Phillies. Just the, kind of some of these really great, I feel like, summer destination kind of environments to get that, that to take in. Baseball, it's history, the game, the atmosphere, all of that that I want to see. I think, you know, the... The, the interleague play kind of allows that for fans, you know, if you're coming from the American League side. Um, so I think I'm split with the, whether Universal doesn't need to hear adoption is the way to go because yes, it in, improves the game overall. More offense. But it, there's also just kind of something cool with, like, you know, like Bartolo Colon in recent <laughs> years kind of hits like. A pitcher. Yeah, yeah, like he just had that season several years ago where it's like there were multiple like, big old bombs that he hits as part of it. He got, yeah. gets a record. I think he hit at least one, maybe his first one, you know? Yeah. Was, and when you're, exciting. your team is an American league team and you're, uh, you're on the road or hosting a, uh, a, a, a national league team at home, you're going to have the, uh, um, pitchers bad who don't, don't, yeah, don't normally bad. Yeah. And it's just kind <laughs> of like, Hey, Ooh, what's going to happen from this? And kind of like, you know, following along the stats of kind of like, Hey, how did that turn out throughout an entire season? So, I think that's um, yeah. I mean, it, it it it's a balancing act between the purists and 
action on the field. I mean, pitchers, they go up and they're doing sack bunts and trying to do a sack fly, and it's a, almost a sure out. But it, uh, I think really Major League Baseball should strongly, um, should strongly consider it because it's all about the young people, and young people love, love offense. So, <laughs> Yeah. We're going to kind of switch gears and move more to the side about finances and money and how that affects multiple things um, with the game for players, for fans, everything um, here. So Barrett, take it over and kind of unpack what we've got to discuss here. Yeah, you know, there's well, we, we talked about the changes on the on-field play, but, you know, there's a money aspect to baseball. Spending is controlled by the owners of each team, and not a lot of owners – invest in their teams it's actually advantageous for them to just kind of sit back and they're like oh i'm profitable i'm barely profitable i'm not baseball does not have a salary cap owners can spend as much as they want on payroll for their players or as little as they want on the flip side and if sometimes owners if they're barely making a profit and they're just like i don't care you know i i don't want to you know bust the bank on trying to get, we know, good talent because it's like, hey, we're profitable, you know, it's all good, you know, tenants is great. And then you have the 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 fans who are just like, come on, man, Mr. Billionaire Owner. I mean, you're not investing in teams, um, you know, and investing in teams starts at the minor league level. Um, the current, the current, Average wage of a minor leaguer is $11,000 per year. That's right. You heard it, $11,000 per year. I've heard countless podcast episodes of minor leaguers having to take on, you know, a job, a second or third job just to make ends meet. And the, the minor league baseball <laughs> player life has to be one of the least glorious things oh, yeah. imaginable. I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, you're, you're living in places like Wichita, Kansas, uh, <laughs> rooming with a, like 600 people <laughs> in an yeah, apartment, some, <laughs> like small town, middle America, or like kind of like very much like C or D market type places that, you know, if you're, you're a young player that you're, you're entering into the system, uh, entering into the, whatever organization you're hoping to move up the ranks for these, a ball, double a, even C, level type teams. I mean, I think like here in DFW, like God, if I was young and I had to be stuck up in, in up in Frisco and <laughs> making $11,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, but you're still, you're still, you're in the DFW area, but you're playing baseball so much. Like you're just like, that's, that's your job. It's your focus. It's with the, the number of games you're playing, the amount of travel and everything. Like you're really, you're kind of playing or you're just like in your hotel room or you're going to like yeah, freaking Applebee's you know, or something like that. And it's just like, wow, this is a, Glorious life I'm living, not. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, but I think like that, the issue too of like what, that what the potential ramifications are of that, um, if you are, there's definitely a lot more kind of, there's more unique issues that kind of come with like the cultural fabric of places, you know, like a Wichita or uh, or like small town Alabama or wherever you're, you're playing your ball in, just kind of in middle America that, uh, these are places that do have bigger issues with drugs, access to alcohol, kind of the things like that. You know, if you're if you're young and you're very much kind of in like a lonely, like no money type of situation, it's easy to kind of turn. It's easy to, easier to turn to those things oh, and yeah. create potentially bigger issues just in terms of your life and where things um, 
go with that later on. I think they're, I'm probably going to stumble over this next point, but I remember when uh, a couple of years ago, when Tyler Skaggs, um, the pitcher for the Los Angeles angels passed away here in DFW and he was found dead in his hotel room, um, over kind of, I believe it was a, it was a botched, uh, cocktail. Um, yeah, medical they, cocktail. Yeah. Medical cocktail that he was, uh, he was given, uh, it's, it highlighted kind of like what, like the tendency of, you know, like there's probably with most players, there's an idea of you should take certain things. You shouldn't take certain things. And I definitely, I want to, I want to walk the fine line here, especially if we're starting this podcast. Cause I definitely don't want to get facts wrong on this, but there was a discussion of, Hey, like not, not specifically related to like, Hey, what, what Tyler's situation was or wasn't what he did or didn't do. But like, if you are kind of in those situations where, you know, you're in a community where, you know, like drugs, like, like methamphetamine and things like that are more of an issue, things that are easily combinable with, uh, with other substances, the, the environment that you are in and just kind of like that stress and pressure and like making like a criminally low amount of money yeah, during like- that time of life. Like it could very well lead to just like, you know, things kind of being normalized of how you do it. And like, you know, if you get to maybe more of a, a major league type of situation where you should presumably have like professional trainers, medical professionals that, that give you the guidance that you need of what should go in your body, like how to be treated with certain situations, uh, that kind of judgment and just kind of like where you are, if you've got something that's maybe kind of more underlying and just kind of like flows under the radar with more kind of a lot of those, uh, or just kind of like tip tree as hush hush and some of those smaller type of communities with that. It could have more longer lasting implications. Um, yeah, that's just all I have to say with that. And I think I, I may have kind of botched the way I react <laughs> to all that, but I think it no. is, it's an issue. Oh yeah. Ultimately being that the, the, it's really, really low salary that you are, you're, you're and it's not even really a salary. It's like a stipend that you're basically mm-hmm. comes out to ultimately in terms of like what you're paid when you're uh, living this, uh, this minor league life, trying to work your way up to the majors. And you're it's, forced to take on additional income just to survive. $11,000 a year is not a livable wage. And yeah, the season's finite, but after that players are disincentivized from further, developing more time to practicing their craft of baseball and they're forced to do other jobs. So uh, a way to fix that is to just mandate that, you know, their um, wage is, is increased and that way they can focus more on baseball. How many instances where it's, you have someone who's just on the edge, they have the talent, but they just like, man, I just can't, I just can't live off of this. And they had to take another job and two other jobs. And so many stories of what could have happened, you know, the next great player. And they were just trying to slut their way through the minors, you know, and they want to start a family, but they're just like, ah, I forget it. You know, I can't do this anymore. That's tragic, you know? And so, I mean, some way, somehow owners need to be incentivized to invest in the minor leagues because, you know, and the, the local communities, they love their minor league teams, but a lot of owners just use it to just kind of, you know, test out the players, you know, they're there. I mean, I don't know if that means just making one minor league, just maybe kind of like, uh, you know, you know, the, the D league for the NBA or, but just, you're just stringing it out. You know, it's, it's trying to make a profit from these minor league teams, but you're not trying to spend too much, even though you clearly have a well more than enough money to double 
uh, you know, the wage that these that these players are making. It's just you're doing the minor leaguers a service. It's just it, it's a tragedy. And to add on top of that, if they finally get to the major major leagues and they're like, yes, I finally made it onto the roster, that starts their service time clock. And owners can manipulate a player's ability to reach free agency to their benefit. Currently, players have to be on the 26-man roster or injury list for 172 days in the season to get one year of service time. There are 187 days in a season total. 172 days out of 187, that's not a lot of room for error. So let's say you have a situation where... And again, players have to, they're eligible for free agency after six full years of service time. So that's six full years, six individual sessions of 172 days. Let's say you have an instance in which a player has five years and 171 days of being on the 26-man roster. At that point, they're one day away. No, they have to start an entire new year, even though they're one day away, and then at the end of that whole other year, they can move on the free agency, which is that's absolutely ridiculous. And you know that, and owners have done it in the past, they have intentionally delayed a major league player's debut, even though they're clearly ready at the beginning of the season, to where they will play less than 172 days in their inaugural year. So that way, they have them for seven years. What is, a, <laughs> what is a... Better way to absolutely kill interest in your team, whether you're a longtime fan or you know, when it's come comes the idea of building any sort of youth movement with this in this sport, then yeah, the ridiculous amount of time. On one hand, yes, I get that players need to develop and you know they need to make their way appropriately through the ranks, but just the way that these certain like the, the, the way that these rules are structured, they keep that like things have to land just perfectly in terms of the amount of time guys spend places, how, how their tenures finish uh, in, in these, uh, in these minor league clubs to be able to make advancement to it. And just like, yeah, these guys that are, that are hypes that are like some big time names out of college uh, or even like international type names. And that, that you know, fans should get excited about, and that should be like guaranteed to be, at your local park with your uh, with your made your favorite major league club in a reasonable time frame. That's anything but that because <laughs> it's just a stupidly long process and it, it just the way like as you described like how you can get bumped into the, like the whole next year just it's, just because you haven't don't have 172 yeah, days. It's <laughs> that is nuts. Yeah, it, ultimately wrapping up the financial session is. The owners still have a tremendous amount of power, even though free agency exists for the better. Um, owners still can manipulate the system. They need to be incentivized to invest in their players. More power has to come into the hands of the players because ultimately people aren't going to games to see the owners. They're not going to the games to see Jim Crane or the owner of the Astros. They're going to see the players. The players are ultimately what matters. The owners either on their own volition or, you know, the, come the next collective bargaining agreement, they need to, um, they need to, they, they need to spend more money. They need to be compelled and realize that it's, it's not just, uh, you know, you got to get more money away. It's, it's for the better. It will translate 
into players living better lives. And that's ultimately what matters. And because if they're living better lives, more people are going to want to go into baseball and you're going to get more great players who can then attract more fans, which segues us into talking about how MLB can appeal to the fans, which is ultimately what matters. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, there's a common uh, agreement that we have that these blackout rules for kind of like the local, uh, like the like local providers of games, those need to go away because oh, it's yeah. just, it, it's ridiculous how like money, that, <laughs> once again, it's done for money, but it's ridiculous how like that can prevent you from, from like watching your baseball. hometown team. Yeah. And, and just like being stuck with national broadcasts that are going to lean maybe only towards the Yankees. Yeah. That, like and the Dodgers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, when it comes to me at the ballpark, I can't remember the last great activation kind of experience that I had there. I mean, you have the, uh, I think, you know, in a sense, it probably, that leans more towards like, it's better off if you're a, you're an adult. Um, if like, I'm thinking of kind of like some of like the great, uh, kind of environments of just like not, not true activation, but in terms of like still stuff to do around it in terms of like being down there in the environments of the ballpark in the immediate area, you've got Wrigleyville, the neighborhood up in Chicago where Wrigley field is located. You've got, uh, like I talked about with the, with the red stadium, that it's kind of like right. And like a bunch of like earshots of a bunch of bars and restaurants. Uh, Denver's stadium is the same way. There's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of stadiums that have that benefit for adults and you've got unfortunately kind of the Rangers situation, which is getting better with the new Texas live complex that they have mm -hmm. um, out there. Uh, even though it's still kind of like a drive away, not uh, not great public transit, not centered really around anything. It's an Arlington. It's uh, <laughs> woohoo Arlington. Um, oh, yeah. No offense to any of our, uh, our uh, <laughs> listeners who are from Arlington. It's you're still part of the DFW Metroplex. You're part of the great state of Texas. We oh, still yeah. love you, oh, but yeah. we just uh, we kid because we care. Um, <laughs> the but like it's more the the game experience of baseball benefits you more if you're an adult and you can enjoy kind of more of the things that are traditionally built around that. But and I think you know this is when it comes to like for kids. I think the best activation experiences probably happen with football, probably call uh, college football for sure. And then even uh, pro football, like the, there's a tendency, a lot more stuff that's set up uh, outside of the stadium kind of things for kids to do to get involved with uh, my experience with great sports activation comes from being a NASCAR fan, actually growing up and stuff. <laughs> really? It's like NASCAR <laughs> races have absolutely incredible activation or at least like they really did kind of during that period of time uh, of the two thousands, I was growing up as a fan of, uh, of like, Jeff you've Gordon. Got, yeah, you've got the, but you've got like all the different, like the merch trailers is kind of like the big part of like the activation out there, like going up and like buying merch and kind of like them all being a giant line and then different exhibits that, you know, like all like the, the big sponsors kind of have out there and really outside the gates, it is just a absolute hopping party for, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for NASCAR races. It really was kind of during that sweet spot of the two thousands. Camden um, Yards is, is, is like that. It's, it's like a community where you have outside the park. It's all the, the restaurants and the stores and, you know, yeah, cause, cause Baltimore stadium is, is nice with, I haven't mm -hmm. been there, but I've kind of like seen like the layouts and how it is there in downtown that you've got, uh, it's not, 
it doesn't all like back up to buildings. It is the kind of, it is the whole like Camden Yards complex where there is stuff yeah. like the adults to do, but is the, the room for, um, for kids stuff to be set up in. Yeah. Fun for the uh, whole family. Um, but yeah, baseball just kind of struggles, I think with more of like uh, the, the way, uh, you know, the game, game scheduling is, uh, in the middle of the summer, it's, uh, like just throughout the year, it's even uh, games in the evening during the regular week where it's, you know, it's got kind of those, uh, occasional midday games that happen. stuff like that, there's just not the same energy walking up to and inside the gates, like other sports that you get with baseball. Um, that can really capture younger fans. And I think I like the next point. This would be the all-star game could use a little more glitz, glamour and kind of connection to pop culture. Like you see um, in sports like basketball, it's the middle of summer. The game is always held in like an A or B market type city, like a large hop in place. Like why, like why not go all out? Why not get all the stars out there get the best musical acts, the best Mm -hmm. entertainment, the best activation, the, the, the best sort of like presenting sponsors that, uh, they create experiences out of those for fans. Like you see with things like the super bowl and then the, uh, um, like the, the NBA all-star game, um, the kind of those kind of two things like really ring the mind in terms of like some of the best experiences that come from those. Um, and something else I thought, I, I thought about it too with marketing. I didn't write this down, but it, it hit my head. And I know I've been thinking about leading up to this is I remember it was like several years ago. I caught the baseball hall of fame inductions in Cooperstown. The day that it happened, like the evening that happened was just in the middle of the, the regular season, really no kind of pomp and circumstance talked about in any of the broadcasts that I tuned into um, there just happens while other games are going on. There's not really time that's carved out for it. Um, that's a, I feel like it's just a huge missed opportunity in terms of how baseball typically handles the hall of fame introductions. It just kind of seemingly being another thing, but like you really tune into it if you care for it as opposed to, to football, like in, in reference, which puts it very like front and center as to kind of like a kickoff for the years. Like we kick off a new season with like the pageantry and kind of mm-hmm. like they're in Canton, Ohio, kind of like heart of America, blue collar kind of as the game rose up highlighting like the pioneers and the legends of the game right there to start every single year. Um, it's just, it's a missed opportunity in terms of like how major league baseball uh, schedules Cooperstown and kind of the, the inductions. It seems like every year uh, around yeah. the rest of the sport, it kind of goes unnoticed. Baseball has to, they have to capitalize on those because uh, the all-star game in particular is inconsequential. If, um, for the longest time, the league who won the all-star game had home field advantage in the world series. Now that doesn't matter anymore. Literally, literally it doesn't matter who wins. So especially since it doesn't even matter, um, they need to really make it all about the fans and try to gear more towards younger fans. I mean, I remember two years ago in the all-star game, they, they were Mike, up players and they were going up and having fun while they were going up to bat and because they knew it was inconsequential they need they need to do more of that so just treat it for what it is it's an opportunity to just be super awesome you have the best of the best players all in the same place playing the same game and just have fun <laughs> don't take it too seriously yeah miss lee's ryan talking about the personalities of yeah. the sports this one the best players since the all-star game fly just under the radar in terms of like mainstream attention on ESPN beyond kind of the baseball segment, uh, each evening, whenever Scott Van Pelt or any of those guys are recapping, uh, recapping games. Um, 
and the major league baseball doesn't really put any like really kind of like light any sort of like fire or incentive under like its best personalities to go and let them be should, themselves. Yeah. To be themselves or to just get out there more is kind of like carving their own, uh, like media and social bigger, media presence, yeah, social media presence. You've got somebody like Mike Trout who the best player in baseball. Yeah. The best player in baseball who very much is just kind of like a average guy, kind of good old boyish. And he loves living out in Los Angeles, on the on the Orange County area near Anaheim. I'm pretty sure he can like go most places around Los Angeles, and he's not really probably he, well known. He can go all. unnoticed, and that, <laughs> and you know it has to be organic. You can't force a player to be active on social media, or you know just very you know flamboyant, or but uh, yeah, I mean people from other sports. People know who Tom Brady is. They yeah. know who Pat Mahomes the major, is. <laughs> you know? Baseball has such an incredible opportunity where youth today are really attracted to individual personalities over the team or teams themselves. I really compare that as a, as a kid when I grew up and like in my neighborhood, like walking around, like I'd see uh, like the, the people I went to school with, friends, like people had Cowboys, Mavericks, Stars, Jerseys, Everybody had one of those because one of the local team, but everybody kind of had like the different players' uh, names on the back of those. And it's like, you know, some people had the star player juries. Some of those guys had more of like the rotation guys and the like still great players, but not like the front and center kind of names and personalities for those teams at the times. Uh, at the time, um, everybody liked different players, but we all loved our team. Um, and that's different today. Uh, you know, I've, I, Say, you know, if you were to walk around the halls of any high school in America today and among like uh, the kids there that are sports fans, uh, any like even in these big markets, um, uh, Los Angeles, Houston, Atlanta, um, Chicago, New York, other places like there's a the the kids who are the NBA fans in there, they're going to have merch that is more based around different teams based on the the the. Their, their favorite player is who's from that team. I think, you know, that's the kind of like an advantage of scheduling in the NBA these days is, you know, certain, certain games are really going to get a strong fervor with the local crowd based on how many people like actually truly follow said visiting team more than they do the local team. And I think major league baseball has a great opportunity here. Um, yeah. It's all about letting players be themselves off the diamond but also on the diamond as well, and and, yeah. and 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 I'll tell you, Trav, a huge disincentive for players just being more, you know, showing more of their personality on the diamond is unwritten rules because for the longest time, and I think it's still, you know, unfortunately around, is you're not supposed to showboat, you're not supposed to do any bat flips. After you hit a huge home run. Yes, because kids today want to see players that have their own brand, their style of play, personality, all of those things. Well, And they can still do all that while being a team player and fitting in with trying to win the game. I mean, it's not complicated. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... For the longest time, you know, if you hit, if you show a little too much excitement after you hit a big home run or a big, you know, double or triple, then... The person, the bad next batter that comes up the bat, the pitcher's going to bean them. I mean, they there just needs to be enforcement where you know 
it disincentivizes pitchers from hitting batters because of I don't know some barbaric you know you know eye for an eye type you know unwritten standard and you know let let it, it's kind of like a year or two ago there was a campaign in the MLB baseball it, it was called let the boys play and the whole idea was like let players like Ronald Acuna Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., Mookie Betts, all the the young stars who are capable of being front and center, let them be themselves. Let them flip the bats. Let them get super excited. I don't care if they're fist pumping the whole way around the the bases after a home run. Just people like that. And think about the NFL. If they score a huge touchdown, they're doing the dances in the end zone. I mean, they're going crazy because that's exciting to watch. It's fun. Let them do that, Trav. I mean... Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Um, And so let's say a kid is interested in ultimately playing the game of baseball. Uh, Increasingly, like many sports, players are pressured today to specialize and pour their primary focus into really just one sport. It's uh, it's an increasing focus. Um, In baseball, it's one of the sports that's only heightened. Um, How... How many great athletes in high school, on high school campuses today do you think are probably hearing from their coaches that they that the only way to have a future uh, and be able to like make anything out of the sport is to just specialize in and it. do travel ball? Yeah, and <laughs> which tra- is expensive. Not to, everybody can afford to do that. Yeah, and I mean the the best opportunities of access for sport for for uh, kids growing up is through, you know, their, their, their local associations kind of when they're, they're in the elementary school period. And I think in the junior high and high school, when, you know, these organizations have, um, like a booster club have, uh, have kind of like an athletic rainy day fund, things like that, that, you know, it helps cover the costs for kids from lower income backgrounds to be able to, uh, to get the opportunity with it. But that is, I don't believe those same opportunities exist once you get up into like the, the, the kind of like select club travel ball type of, of situations. It's just, it's much different. You're reliant on the funds being there uh, to be able to purchase the, uh, the equipment, the uniforms, uh, the fees that you pay to, to be part of the organization, the travel, uh, needing to have the, have the parents um, available um, to be able to travel with you to those, to those games. Um, so yeah, you add in the money beyond the confines of your school, that highlights the inequities a ton of the current situation and that especially affects non-white players, uh, youth of color that want to get involved in the game that are going to most likely be coming from these more disadvantaged backgrounds. Baseball, if baseball could stand to be diverse, which it abs more diverse, which it could abs it absolutely can. I don't think oh, that's yeah. an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got as work to do to fix these issues of access money wise, because the sport is that expensive when you get up into the higher ranks. And that's thinking more long-term. It's, I I talked earlier about investing in minor league players and playing players in general. Again, there's no salary cap, you know, play, you know, actually spend money to have good players. But this is like, if they were to do this, they would be, be, you know, I'd give them an A plus because this is the long-term. They're directly gearing it towards the younger fans. You know, 7% of 
fans under the age of 18, this would directly impact that if you open up more academies and just to give more opportunities for young people to play the game because it's a fun game to play. And so it absolutely needs to reform how it's doing that. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. And so we kind of, we needed to close this out by addressing uh, the elephant in the room is kind of like the last big point uh, here, which is the unwritten rules. And the, the, <laughs> there are the, the rules and then there's the unwritten rules. Well, yeah. And how that really, uh, how those, those hurt the game. And it comes down to just, if you confuse people up front and, uh, <laughs> and, and really just like, like, paint on a sign and let everybody know is like we are insular and we treat things abstractly. And there's just like weird new uh, idiosyncrasies of uh, how we play this and like things that you do say, don't say actions that you take, don't take that like make like that project like superstitions across like the entire game. Uh, yeah. You're just turn, you're turning off, off potential fans and making it, more, making it more confusing than it needs to be. Yeah. These unruly rules, they treat the game abstractly. Uh, I think the big one is just that, you know, your, your position is that you play on the field is not above criticism. These, these pitchers need to stop being so soft and like how they, they, they like they're acting like they are the, the, the drivers of yeah. uh, how the entire, uh, game goes. The world revolves can, around them. Yeah. The world <laughs> revolves around them. The, yeah, you can just, uh, that yeah, you could just like clock out a ninety-five mile an hour fastball. It's some <laughs> like right on somebody's like elbow as a revenge and stuff for uh, uh, for like looking for like the previous batter looking at you funny. Like that's just absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, I will give a, one example. Two years ago, uh, no, I think this actually happened last year in twenty twenty. It was the Rangers <laughs> against the Padres. Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, was up to bat. The Padres were destroying the Rangers. I'm sorry, Trav. You know, <laughs> they were destroying your hometown team at, at Globe Field. Nobody was there to watch it in person, but it, I think it was a 3-0 count or a 3-1 count. And apparently, an unwritten rule is if you're up by a bunch, you don't swing on a 3-0 count. Well, oh my gosh, Fernando, Fernando Tatis Jr. actually swung at a good pitch and hit like a home run. And, and being up three <laughs> to nothing, like that's not that big of a gap. Like you kind of need to play all the yeah. way through. Like the, the, Yeah. <laughs> and well, I'm, well, I will correct you. They, they were up like by, they were up by a large margin. Oh, the, 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 the pitch count was Come to three think of it, you're right. Now. That's, that was a, I forget the where they were at that time, but it was much more. It's like, the it's answer still to the situation is like the, the, it was towards the latter part of the game, but the way baseball works is like you keep this as an unwritten rule because presumably it should be a, like an idea of respect is that when you're up that big that you don't wear it in more. But it's the game can shift pretty quickly on the drop of a dime inning oh, yeah. by inning. Like you score like five or six runs in an yeah. inning, you know, because a pitcher does is not you know, he's, he's, he's not delivering his pitches. The, the answer to that is if you don't want someone to swing on a three Oh count when they're up by like 10 to two or something like that, throw good pitches. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, don't throw bad pitches. <laughs> yeah. You know, get control of the strike zone. <laughs> yeah. My final That's point that I have to close out with is that this is, this really falls less under a, unwritten rules, just miscellaneous. And this is across, I think multiple increasing across like the, the full kind of generational span of baseball fandom, but the ump shows these 
big headed egomaniac umpires who, yes, there's a, I get that every, every crew kind of has different things that they're going to look for within the confines of rules, but just like very obvious situations of not even being close to the strike zone repeatedly throughout games being called as strikes. Yeah. Yeah. Every umpire has their own strike zone and, and you know, it's fine whether it's a little inside, a little outside, a little, uh, you know, bigger, a little smaller, as long as they're consistent, you know, it's all good, but humans are humans. They're not going to be consistent. Uh, baseball needs to embrace technology. We have the technology to have an objective strike zone and maybe the umpire could just be a surrogate he has an earpiece and it says yes that was a strike or that was a ball and he's just a surrogate and he's like hey i'm just saying what the you know the computer tells me to yeah and you know they need to and how they may double you you take the imperfections with potential biases that uh that that crews can have when working on games and that how it's these kind of calls the way they're calling these are not applied evenly between both teams out on the field and how these guys, they don't like then being uh, like approached. They, they, uh, some of them are more standoff and defensive towards uh, like the manager or any of the, uh, the other coaches coming out and talking, uh, trying to talk things over and address the situation at hand, it can create some obvious abuses and just like, as it is people, as it's referred to in the game, it's the ump show. You just see these egomaniac guys that, that go down the rabbit hole of like going game with one thing and they do not want anything questioned. And, I'll throw throw you out. Yeah, it affects the quality of the game. You looked at me wrong. I'm going to throw you out of the game. Yeah, you. Yeah, it's just like I bet you feel like the big guy, the big man in the room right now. Aren't you proud of yourself that you made this game all about you, and you don't even (laughs) want to address your inconsistencies. You you don't want to explain things. It's just all about you. That the game turns secondary with the with the quality of play being dropped by these ins- inconsistent calls, how much the game is slowed down with the, these things. It's, it's a problem for sure. Yeah. Um, on top of technology, on top of having an objective strike zone, which I think they're trying it out in the minor leagues. If not, they should definitely try that out before they do in the major leagues. They need to have a sophisticated pitch sign relay. The Astros, they took advantage of the fact that they had the archaic system where the catcher puts his hand between his legs and it's like one is a fastball, two is a strike, and you know, or, or you know, one's a ball, two strike. I, I don't know. You get the point, you know, curveball, slider, this, this, and that. And, you know, they need to be open to having pitchers. Maybe uh, maybe they have like a little earbud and the catcher presses a button and it means one thing, it means another. Because the cheating scandal didn't do anything good for baseball because cheating, impropriety, it, it hurts the popularity of a game. So any way that you can have a sophisticated pitch sign relay, I'm sure the technology exists where they, you know, just be open to that. Technology in general. I remember when baseball enacted the instant replay challenge rule. That was that was maybe like five years ago, and the purists this they just raised, you know they just were like oh my gosh that's that's insane. <laughs> well, it's just like the strike zone. You might get it right most of the time, but there are every once in a while again because humans are flawed and they're not perfect. They will miss a glaringly obvious safe or out, or they'll miss a glaringly obvious strike, and it might happen once every one hundred times, but. 
you know, and 99 times they might get it right, but there's always that 100 time in a key situation where they get it wrong and it's so consequential. <laughs> so they need to be open to that. Um, um, the only thing I have to add that I just want to touch base on real quick is it's kind of, this is geared towards the fans, is expanding the league. Right now it's 30 teams. Why not add two more teams? Yeah, I think there's a... I've heard that, uh, and this is a city that I visited and that I'm very much a fan of. I think it has a great culture, a lot of history. It's increasingly a destination. It's kind of one of these uh, these cities that you're getting a lot of transplants and people from other parts of the country and is kind of creating this Amer- American cultural melt melting pot of, uh, of different folks, uh, is Nashville. I've heard Nashville is mm-hmm. very much in consideration for the expansion team. You've got the, uh, the Nashville sounds, um, uh, organization. Hockey. Yeah. Yep. Uh, actually the, the predators are hockey. The sounds are actually the minor league baseball team up oh, there. That's done even better. My bad. Yeah, done very, very well <laughs> so. in, a, in a cool little, uh, little neighborhood right next to downtown there, uh, walkable area, nice ballpark. Um, but yeah, that's, Major, Major League Baseball, I think, needs to, to get in Nashville for sure. I think there's a, that's a great sports city, as they've shown with um, got the, the Tennessee Titans there. We have really have kind of become a solid franchise in recent years and are gaining popularity among locals there. Yeah, Nashville is an incredible location. I think, yeah, it's, it's got to expand. I think it needs to go kind of fill in some of these spots maybe mm-hmm. where there isn't as much of a team presence. Yeah, I think Nashville is definitely a right there smack in the middle of kind of the, the Mid-South that uh, that makes sense. Um, Other good options are maybe. San, San Antonio, Las Vegas, you know, yeah. these teams that have large populations that can support uh, – a team but expanding is just again you put a team in a state that doesn't have a team an entire state that doesn't have a baseball team you put it right smack dab there i mean you're creating fans it's so much potential so uh, again if you were to expand you go from two leagues of 30 to two leagues of 32 again it's still um it's still an even number so i'm sure there's plenty of good cities out there but that's just a, that's a layup right there again it would t- take a lot of planning but they absolutely need to do that and on top of that um i personally think the american league and the national league they need to just get rid of divisions i love how in basketball the top 8 teams go to the playoffs period the division uh, are there divisions in the nba or, there, there are divisions in the NBA, but it's more of a formality. Yeah, that it, they yeah they're kind of, they're kind of meaningless. Divisions existed back in the early days of sports in general because traveling was you know um it was more expensive, it was more of a burden. Uh, air travel wasn't as streamlined and cheap as it was today. The whole point of divisions was you mostly play teams that are close by for the majority of the season and then have to travel less. Now travel is cheap teams have they got their own airliners yeah so. they've got they've got <laughs> charter flight services yeah. that so, take care of those things yeah it's irrelevant so there needs to be american league national league period top eight teams go expand the playoffs and because if you expand the playoffs it's almost kind of like college football you know expand the playoffs you get more teams that are just they're not they're close there you get them to go to the playoffs and going to the play- October baseball is so awesome the Houston Astros i mean they've been making the playoffs so many times and it certainly helps because it's like oh yes there's that hope four straight ALCSs so yeah expand the leagues expand the playoffs you know that's that's really going to go a long way so those are just the last points i wanted to add 
Um, uh, Travis, do you have any more points, Dan? Man, we've unpacked a lot this evening, and uh, <laughs> I think personally, I, I've I have all that I've had wanted to talk about. Um, I think you've uh, yeah, you've had all you've wanted to talk about. Um, this has been a lot of fun, but uh, as all good things happen, they must come to an end. Um, you know, um, uh, baseball. I mean, if if they just if they just do even a few of these things, we really feel strongly that it'll go a long way. I will point out that the collective bargaining agreement between the owners and the players ends comes to an end after this season, and they have to, you know, create a new collective bargaining agreement. This is the owners and the players agreeing to, you know, the rules and the parameters for how they're going to play. This is a golden opportunity, Trav, for Major League Baseball to enact some of these you know, the players come out and they say National League's got to have a DH, you know, and they, they can really advocate for that. They can advocate for higher wages. They can advocate for more youth development. This, I really, I really want to see something happen. So we could be on the cusp of these some of these measures just even a little bit. I mean, I'm optimistic. I really want this to go. So we're looking forward. We're optimistic. You know, this is there's so much potential and we're not, you know, we're. This is, we're not the only people who think this. This is stuff that a lot of people think. So, fingers crossed, Trav. We hope that MLB Baseball is smart <laughs> and they actually think it for the future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels like there's more momentum going in the direction with these. Like, even as, you know, we will talk about soon with analytics. Um, like, that, that, the, 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 the griping on air, you know, like, the debates that you kind of get maybe between, like, the old head and new head announcers. Like, those are becoming fewer and more far between the I think anything that gets maybe not anything, but I think most things that are around improving the quality of play of baseball and just the experience, whether you're watching it on TV or at the ballpark, uh, to keep both longtime fans engaged and also to bring on uh, new fans. I think there's a lot of stuff that's on the table right now, and I think the momentum is starting to go in the direction of those. So. Um, yeah, I think baseball is not uh, is not letting um, these issues just completely engulf them and, and send them into a pit of uh, of no return. They uh, that the issues still are serious and they remain, but it's uh, I think baseball is changing its diet and it's uh, it's starting to take some of these things more seriously to create a better future for the game. Baseball is slow to change and, you know, that's part of what makes it special, but we're living in a world that is increasingly more open to change. And eventually if you're very, very resistant to not changing, it could be to your, to your detriment. Sometimes change is good. You shouldn't change just for the sake of changing, but change can be good. It can really do a lot. It could be scary. You know, because, oh, we've done the same thing for a hundred years. You change because you have to innovate. And if you don't innovate, you die. You adapt. Yes. Just like the quote that you said at the beginning, we come full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. I love it. Well, all good things they said must come to an end. Um, So we got to wrap this up for this edition of No Doubter. Um, If you would all just do us a huge favor, if you really enjoyed today's content, go and subscribe to our podcast. We really love you to be involved with this, with with every episode that comes out so you can stay up to date on the latest with No Doubter. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you'll see all the important links in the description below of what you need to know. Um, go and leave us a review too to let us know how you've enjoyed the show um, and how we can bring you even better content in the future. And finally, join our Patreon today and you'll get an even greater level of access. 
Barrett, in this out, buddy. Remember, guys, always from for the fences. This episode of No Data was produced by Eric Bostick and Travis Lockley and edited by Travis Boster. Our logo was designed by Lindsay Silblick. 